Hi, everyone. Um, welcome to episode 10 of International in the U.S. with Harin Haruka. In this episode, we wanted to update you on our post-graduation life. Yeah, so right yeah, it's now... It's been a while. It has been. It's, it's been, been seven months, I guess. Exactly, yeah, I actually. So. Yeah. I think so. Why haven't we recorded an episode in the past seven months? I don't know. Well, well, I guess it's mainly because we did graduate university and we have been... Um, well, it's been like three months since. Do you want yeah. to talk about what you've been up to? I've uh, just been living the life. Um, I sort of had a significantly easier life after graduation than <laughs> you. So um, I guess I can start talking about my work a little bit. I work yeah. as a software engineer in Cambridge. And um, I didn't really go through the whole interview process because I interned at the exact same place uh, junior year as well. So I sort of know... I sort of knew where I was going, mm -hmm. right? Starting senior year off, and you are returning, zero stress. Um, right. And then uh, the uh, international uh, process being H-1B visa process, um, and the perm process right afterwards just immediately followed, and just like, I didn't really have to do any research about that. Um, my company sort of took the lead in updating me what's the status of the H-1B, what you need to do, and we can go over that uh, sort of more in detail uh, when mm -hmm. we get there. But uh, what about you? What have you been uh, up to? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, this is where it gets fun because Henry and I have had, like, polar opposite international student post-graduation experiences in the sense that we've, well, we've both stick, stuck around at our university area, but um, I have been interning remotely. I've been interning at an international organization, um, and that goes through, it goes, started in uh, July, and then it's going to go through October, potentially longer. Um, but I have been on a short-term unpaid internship, so I've been consistently uh, looking for my next opportunity, kind of trying to figure out side gigs and whatnot, um, and in a far more uh, unstable, volatile, shall we say, um, circumstance mm. than Harry. So I guess that's like the rough update. Um and I guess we can start talk about kind of like the how our fields shape those different paths because you're in tech and then I'm in more the international relations. Uh, my internship is on the weapons of mass destruction, so very different. And what do you do on uh, for your internship? So my internship has kind of three main task areas. One is the run of the mill uh, newsletter updates, which has been a good educational opportunity for me to stay attuned on the whole um, Afghanistan and everything situation, but. I, my main sort of dominant two tasks fall into the Japan side and gender. So the Japan side, I was helping the, I am interning at the UN and I was helping the high representative sort of travel schedule um, surrounding the nuclear commemoration dates uh, in early August. And that's kind of wrapping up. And then on the gender side, I'm helping with their data collection, which is super fascinating to me. So we walk through the disarmament meeting minutes and then we mm. look at who who spoke when, what organization and what, or like what sub-organization and what country affiliation they had and then which component of the um, meeting they participated in. So if it was like more of an agenda-driven comment or if it was like a content-driven comment um, and aggregating that information for like students and scholars to use for research. So I'm very excited about that component. Mm -hmm. um, and that's like the main parts of my internship. Yeah, and it's like a long internship where it's like um, yeah. you are, you're interning for three, four months, and then mm -hmm. uh, what's the plan uh, after? Great question. I wish I knew. Uh, I'm oh, applying okay. to 
a bunch of um a bunch of positions and I'm also potentially looking at going back home kind of trying to figure out what the next move is um whether I pursue being in the field if I pursue gaining like a solid early career experience um and then also factoring in parents preferences and financial circumstances so that's me mm-hmm. yeah how's your sort of career side been so far um a career side I started working um in middle july mm-hmm. um and then for tech i went through a very intense onboarding process right um i i did not know about this stuff because for me onboarding has always been you know this is the period where uh you sort of do different things mm-hmm. than what your regular job is because for me it's more of a learning period like what does the job entail Maybe you read out lots of documentation. Maybe you watch some lectures. Uh, for me, it was also like a schooling period, um, where in reality, um, it's not always the easiest part. And I was immediately thrown into uh, two different tasks on my first day, and uh, onboarding was the most overwhelming one-month period where I had to overwork a little bit. Uh, Maybe not that good um, in the long-term perspective, but it was taxing uh, both on a mental uh, perspective and also on a physical perspective since um, I wasn't taking care of myself, uh, going to the gym or eating good uh, from that first month. But uh, thankfully, the first uh, hellish week or hellish weeks Mm -hmm. are um, behind me. and um, yeah, I know many other people have reflected similar thoughts that uh, the first weeks are where uh, the imposter syndrome starts creeping in. And I know that we all have, you know, uh, speakers from outside coming to tops that talk about how to deal with imposter syndrome, what you feel like um, under these syndromes. And I just never took good, good notice of it in mm-hmm. at tops because I never felt that way. But um, Onboarding has definitely uh, been such experience where, you know, I experienced some of the similar feelings and uh, I just figured more people should know um, that the first couple weeks of your job might be the hardest. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, do you want to talk a bit about your sort of permanent residency, H1B, that sort of application process? Uh, yes. So there's two processes that I went through uh, for now. Number one is the H-1B visa uh, yearly lottery. And, and I'd say that process is primarily uh, pushed by the company, right? I didn't really have to do anything. Uh, last year, uh, October, 2020, uh, that's the first time they started reaching out to me um, saying, we've entered your name into this year's draw. You don't really need to do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will let you know uh, in a couple months whether we get drawn. Uh, or not, and the processes mm-hmm. to be followed. Um, sadly, I did not get drawn in the first lottery. Mm-hmm. Um, and for this year, uh, it actually, we got really lucky as a company because we were allotted extra spots. Mm-hmm. So um, the second round just got done this past month. Mm-hmm. I still did not get drawn, mm-hmm. um, but I know many other people did. And hopefully, you know, we will be able to update you on what they went through for mm-hmm. uh, to change into H1B, but um, so that's all. I, I didn't really do anything in that part. I just like a participant in the process. Right. 
whereas the perm application is a lot more demanding. So uh, the perm is um, the first step uh, where your employer decides to sponsor you for a green card, for a mm -hmm. permanent residency. So um, the first step you need to take is completing a perm questionnaire. Mm -hmm. It is one of the most specific detailed thing uh, detailed paperwork that I had to complete. Right. And it actually took me three separate days during my work week mm -hmm. to finish that. Uh, it basically documents uh, what are the core minimum skills required to complete your job, mm -hmm. uh, your current job. Um, and where did you gain those skills? Mm -hmm. uh, and then what they do is they take uh, your questionnaire and they perform a um, market test a labor market test. Um, and I don't know if I can read this specifically word to word, uh, but in order to file the perm to be uh, for a visa dependent employee, mm -hmm. they require that the employer test the local labor market for qualified, willing and uh, available US workers mm -hmm. who could perform the job, basically to see how many US people can perform your job as an international. Mm -hmm. um, and this process involves a couple steps. Firstly, it's advertising your position mm -hmm. in multiple media sources, uh, followed by a quiet period to allow US workers to apply and be screened, maybe interview mm -hmm. uh, to see if they meet those minimum requirements. Mm -hmm. um, if a uh, minimally required candidate is found in the mm -hmm. US for your position through this labor market test, um, or a decent number of candidates, uh, we will not be able to proceed basically right. with your perm application. Um, what this means for us as mm -hmm. undergraduate is rarely do you mm -hmm. get to start off in this process um, uh, as a new grad hire, right? Mm -hmm. So that is exactly what happened with me. Um, I filled this questionnaire for three straight days and then the feedback that I got in immediately was sorry the the options traditionally has not been successful for new mm -hmm. grad roles like this uh, we will continue to explore different options but for now your uh, perm application has been put on hold mm -hmm. and we will update you as soon as another option put through but you know obviously the chances are low uh, right. that you get to start that as soon as possible so those are the two um uh, processes that i went through um mm -hmm. i don't know if uh, the internship has any processes similar, but could never, uh, doesn't it, sponsor for H1B as well. No, it uh, doesn't. Um, so for international organizations, this is different. So if you are interning somewhere, um, if you're interning at a private sector firm, or if you're interning at a research institution that is not academia, you would use your OPT. Um, if this is for post-grad, by the way. And if you are at an academic institution and you're working in some capacity, I think you start off on an OPT, but then the next visa you would go on to is not the H-1B, but that's a J-1. Um, if you're at an international institution, then you can use your OPT uh, given specific circumstances, or you can uh, you would switch to a G-4. Um, and I believe it's a G-4. I'm not using it, so I don't know exactly, but um, that's the visa that's specific to organizations like the UN, W. Uh, oh my gosh, what was it? Oh yeah, World Bank, uh, similar um, institutions that you can think of. And the G4 visa 
is, I believe, granted more readily than the H-1B, but is very specific to these organizations. So you wouldn't uh, commonly come across them otherwise. And generally, these organizations don't tend to do the permanent uh, resident um, or even H-1B. They tend to not initiate these as much. I think that a lot of the visa processes is applicant-driven, employee-driven, uh, because these organizations tend to have less financial resources, uh, legal and other and temporal, I guess, otherwise. So um, long story short, uh, it seems that the tech industry generally does much um, stronger of a job when it comes to helping international students mm. maintain status. Um, and I think you um, had an explanation as to why that might be. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to um, recite something from my onboarding sure. experience. Uh, but one of my company's mission or my company's mission is to empower every person and every organizations on the planet Mm -hmm. to achieve more. I know it sounds very grand, but Mm -hmm. part of that empowerment comes from representation, right? In order to understand, uh, your customers better, how to best serve your customers, you need to represent them in the workforce, understand what their needs are. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the core reasons they treat international people so very well, because Mm -hmm. they very much welcome our presence here to understand uh, the things we go through, to understand our culture uh, and how our, how we think as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, this is mainly for the underclassmen who considers the tech career, but it is a really attractive, um, industry for now especially for uh international people Mm -hmm. the stability that it offers is second to none Mm -hmm. um and its treatment to international people where they are so willing to sponsor you Mm -hmm. um they have whole departments and budgets uh, dedicated to your success i don't Mm -hmm. think this is um i haven't seen any other industries or i don't know uh, any other industries that offer the same support right so this is sort of a, uh, an advertisement, I guess, for, for the tech industry. For sure. Um, and on that note, so the international relations, which is a very broad realm, um, obviously depends on which subset. But generally, if you're proceeding with um, the conventional international relations types of jobs, which would be either going into like think tank research, academia, um, research assistant type jobs or international organizations, you don't really have these perks. Um, aside from pursuing careers that you want, however, the small perk is that I believe if you are a nonprofit, the H-1B is not a lottery, but just a straight up application. Um, mm. I think there's some nuanced differences there. So visa, strictly speaking, visa wise, there's some advantages in the field, but you won't, you probably shouldn't expect a stronger legal team behind your back um, at all times. So that's like a major difference to keep in mind that I wish I, or I would have liked to know earlier in my university Mm -hmm. career, probably. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of our start of career, um, processes, but, um, are there any sort of job related things you wanted to talk more about? In what particular area? Like like Um, daily routines? Sure. Yeah. Let's go into that. So (laughs) what do you, um, what do you do? Well, actually, why don't we transition to housing? So, yeah, let's talk about uh, how you found the place you're living in now. Right now we're recording from Henry's new apartment. So, oh yeah. Um, it's actually a very long story because it took me Mm -hmm. exactly four months to find this place. It's wild. Um, so I personally started looking, um, when did our lease start? May, I think June 1st or May 1st, May uh, 1st. So I started looking 
uh, in January, where mm -hmm. most of the space isn't even open because I was just overthinking it. Right. Right. So I spent two months just completely unproductive. There were no listings available online. Mm -hmm. um, so when I found my housemates, when I secured my housemates, uh, we sort of um, launched another push. Right. And mm -hmm. by that point, I was pretty desperate. Um, so we started visiting a couple places that we saw the listing were good online. Mm -hmm. um, and I was always the first one to be saying, oh, yeah, I'm ready to sign this place. I am, you know, I can envision myself living in this place. Mm -hmm. And my housemates were always saying, you know what, we should, we should wait a little, mm -hmm. right? Because we don't really know this area well. We mm -hmm. don't really know the housing market here. We don't know the renting. Uh, how much we pay for this, we just have no idea. Right. And, you know, so I think they helped me so much in, in mm -hmm. staying patient. Um, and eventually that's exactly how we got this house that mm -hmm. we're living in right now, because by that point it was the fourth month. Um, we were all pretty desperate for a house uh, mm -hmm. by then. Um, and we impl implemented the strategy of just visiting every single listing available. Mm -hmm. Right. So one of those listings looks so terrible mm -hmm. that we're pretty sure no one else were about to visit it mm -hmm. right they had this one picture they, they only have three pictures mm -hmm. uh the decorations were ex extremely out of date mm -hmm. uh the living room is just pretty much a blank canvas right. and uh, the uh the uh they have one of the pictures for the balcony where it's only half the balcony to be visible Mm -hmm. And they have a weird wooden table on the top of the table. Mm -hmm. They have a Windows computer from the 99. <laughs> um, so wow. I'm pretty sure this is in all area undesirable. We right. visited anyways. And it turned out it's just the landlord is really bad with technology. <laughs> right. The first uh -huh. time we walked in there, um, the, the place was just massive. Mm -hmm. uh, and it blows every single house that we visited away. Mm -hmm. um so at that point we we all had this feeling we looked at each other we said this is the house we, we have to get this today or tomorrow right so i i guess the one tip i would get mm -hmm. i would give is you really need to establish your expectations or you, you have to be informed on uh in the in the housing market you have mm -hmm. to know how much to pay for a certain space is worth it mm -hmm. right and you have to know like after, only after you know that you can pick out a place and that feeling of this is the one strikes you mm -hmm. right so so when that happens you know everything else just come naturally so that makes sense um do you want to talk about how you found your housemates um that was the easy part actually because mm -hmm. uh one of my best friends from tufts um we were always planning on living together we we right. sort of planned our careers together we got this the offer for full-time jobs on the same day wow. and they're both in cambridge right um so we sort of knew that we were living together and then uh he has uh his friend from his hometown mm -hmm. where you know uh, he also got a job here so we thought, oh yeah this is a perfect opportunity you know why don't we just live with people that we actually like right um <laughs> This is not a shade to anyone <laughs> if you're listening, but uh, um, that is what actually a, a very important part um, in choosing where to stay. I know you have similar experiences um, that 
you just really have to focus on the people who you uh, who you really like, who you like spending time with. Mm -hmm. I find that to be uh, taking your mind off work just really important to your mental health in general. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it, it's not it's not hard to find housemates in my experience. But yeah, uh, why don't you talk about your housing experience? I know you jumped around for a bit. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, so after my lease ended in May, end of May, um, I subletted in New York City for a month. And then after that, I've been in a sublet near my near Tufts, so um, in the suburbs of Boston for the past two months. And then right now, um, this is mid-August, and then I'm figuring out my September housing situation for the month. And then I'm going to then have to figure out whatever comes next as we go. And this is a little complicated. So for June and July and August, I got lucky. For June, I found my sublet through a high school graduate who I was friendly with. Um, and he saw my story and he offered me a great setup. So I was living um, in a situation that's far above or the place was far above my means. Um, but he met me with what midway. So that was great. And then for my current sublet, um, I'm staying in a place from uh, someone I know from university, um, and she's a friend who is uh, still at Tufts. So they're having a full year lease, and then they're just subletting for the summer. So I'm subletting from them as well. Um, and that would be my recommendation too, is to really tap into your network um, in terms of like your friends from school, your high school friends, or whoever else you know in the country. Um, mm -hmm. And that's something that I'm using to guide where I'm going next, which is kind of what Henry was talking about which is um, less kind of in terms of like living with people I like, but more so being in general around people I know and like networks I'm comfortable with. So I'm looking at the Boston area, I'm looking at New York, DC, all places where I have high school or college friends, and then also California where I have personal connections as well. So yeah, that's kind of, I think, a really big guiding factor in terms of looking for housing that I wouldn't really have thought of before is just the value of like being around people both for practical reasons as in like they probably know places that are open more so um or just yeah. having wider network is helpful and then also from like a friendly perspective it's just nice to be able to see people you like and then um so that's on the temporary housing kind of jumping around I will say so it's a little bit hard to find one month sublets unless it's a very specific someone's traveling for a month kind of a circumstance so yeah. Um, if you have the financial capacity, it's great to always look to Airbnbs and like if you have the right circumstance, staying with family or friends, something like that. Um, and then in terms of the housing market, this is very summer specific, but in the sum, I think that there's months in the year where it's easier to find one month housing or shorter term housing. And that's the summer for like a couple months. And then the winter between like December and January where people go home, obviously COVID changes this a little bit, but doing a one month sublet in September is far more challenging than trying to do the same in like June or July. So I think that's something I would keep in mind. And also, if you aren't in the Boston area, um, the sort of climate of housing really differs by the area you're in. And I'm only familiar with DC, uh, Boston and New York City housing landscapes. But in those areas for sublets or renting, um, generally, uh, with COVID, people are returning to those major cities uh, or with COVID kind of becoming a little bit more tranquilized, I guess I wouldn't really say uh, receding, but um, so I think people are moving into those major cities a little bit more than before. Um, the height of it, I think, was in like July now with the Delta variant, things are changing a little bit, um, but we'll see kind of where that goes. But the competitiveness does really depend on the season. So like, for example, DC, um, 
September is a really competitive season for the same reason that it's competitive in Boston because student there are a lot of students in the city. Same goes for New York, of course. But then um, the summer, if you're willing to live in the suburbs of Boston, is a great time to live in that area because a lot of students leave the area to go work in other cities such as New York or DC. So mm. DC and New York similarly competitive in the summer, maybe even more so because everyone's pouring in. Um, mm. So those are kind of differences I think that are helpful to keep in mind and become aware of. And I know we talked about like joining Facebook groups as a way to do so. Yeah, actually, what are some of the resources that you find is helpful for finding a house or uh, just establish general uh, expectations in the market? Because, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, I think that joining Facebook groups is important, and that's what everyone will tell you to do. And then oftentimes those will link to Craigslist. Um, mm. And Craigslist is. I think I've heard kind of mixed things about it. I think in the DC housing market seems fairly important. Um, Boston, not quite as much. Like people will list there. But I've had great list. experiences with Craigslist. That, okay. that was one of the things I was about to suggest. Oh. Um, yeah. But people are very responsive uh, on Craigslist. That's not at all what I expected. Right. Yeah. yeah. You would expect scams and whatnot. That's what also the other side of things that I've heard about Craigslist. I guess be careful, but use it. Um, and then otherwise, I think talking to people has been a very strong way I've found places. Um, and also because I'm financially restricted, I think that um, going through people you already know, and also because I'm concerned about safety and whatnot, that helps sort of mm -hmm. establish that the people you're subletting from or renting from are legit um, and reliable. So I think that's always helpful to kind of keep in mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just two other resources, I'd say Facebook Marketplace lists some amazing rental exactly. properties. Um, and then Zillow. Mm. Most people don't really right. uh, care about Zillow because I think it's it's mostly for selling, for buying a house or, right. uh, you know, mortgages and stuff. But mm -hmm. it does really have a lot of great rental properties as well. And I know many people don't know about that. So um, highly recommend. Yeah, along those lines, if you're in New York, Street Easy, I know a lot of people look at that. So that's also another, I think, similar to Zillow, I would guess, platform mm. that people go on to rent. Um, and I think maybe buy. Uh, they list a lot of like, um, oh, Street Easy specific to New York. Um, so I don't know if there's a Boston equivalent. Do you know? I have no idea. Let us know if you find out. Um, okay, so we've talked a little bit about where to live and things like that. Um, Oh, okay. Another, I feel like there are a lot of life admin related things. I know that's a trendy word nowadays, um, but things having to do with maintaining your life, maintaining your life mm. that is not fun. Um, speaking of other things, recently um, I've had to kind of figure out my insurance. So if you were a student at a U.S. Uh, higher education institution, as in like college or high school, generally you're enrolled in insurance through your school, um, or that's what they encourage you to do anyway, if you don't have family in the U.S., and um, those insurances tend to, at least in my case, it ran or runs out soon, um, the summer after the end of your university career, because it usually is a full year plan. It starts in September and in August, something like that. And so in my case, I'm looking for insurance on my own. Um, and in that, it's a little complicated. But do you want to talk a little bit about your like work benefits, insurance included, uh, retirement plans, things like that, kind of how you're set up mm. in general? Yeah, I guess I can. Um, so we do have an onboarding guide to new hires mm -hmm. uh, that says what are the benefits available and usually what people uh, do with those benefits. Uh, and that just means enrolling them all. Right. Um, but there are specific 
um, factors you should take in consideration as an international worker, mm -hmm. uh, mainly how much to put into your 401k, mm. because that is a US centered retirement account, mm -hmm. right? And if you ever think about leaving the US or um, moving back to your home country to work or moving out to mm -hmm. other parts of the world, um, I think you, you should start thinking about whether you want to withdraw that money, which might incur a 10% early withdrawal penalty as well as income tax, mm -hmm. or you want to leave it in long-term, which is, I think, what most people do. Right. Um, so I don't think I found a lot of documentation on how to make decisions on retirement accounts such as that mm -hmm. for international students. I think uh, that is a topic that deserve a, a second episode because yeah. I don't know if we know enough sure. about that for now. Um, but um, those are the general things. Um, and one thing I, I found extremely helpful is my company has this investment club. Mm -hmm. uh, the investment club has tens of thousands uh, of members mm -hmm. and we share this uh, OneNote book. Mm -hmm. what, wait, it's just called OneNote. It's, it's called the OneNote. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, filled with information about, uh, you know, retirement, mm -hmm. how to prepare for retirement. Most people underestimate the amount of money you need to put in right. your retirement account. Yeah. I think it's by, th uh, they have the table by mm -hmm. what age you should have, yeah. how much money in your 401k or, or IRAs or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, as well as, um, some company specific benefits, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, investment concepts in general. Mm -hmm. So that I have found to be supremely helpful. And um, mm -hmm. uh, Erica might tell you about this uh, skills exchange thing mm -hmm. that we started doing. Sure. Mostly as a side to, you know, work-life balance, because mm -hmm. uh, for me, I, I, I just want to continue learning outside of work, you know, because mm -hmm. I don't want to get stagnant, you know, it's easy to get stagnant in terms of technology with, with uh, the software engineering mm -hmm. uh, industry, but um, something I want to do is continue learning about things I'm interested in, like French right. or finance, for example. So I don't know if you want to go into that at all. Sure. Yeah. All right. So um, the skills exchange that we're doing is, as Henry said, kind of for fun. Um, basically, I help Henry learn French. He does the same with finance. Um, and as, as I don't know, um, I, I'm as clueless as you can get about personal finance. So it's been really useful for me. And it's a good way to sort of keep us up to date, um, work on something. Um, in Harry's cases, he said that's not like technical, I guess. And in my case, um, that's not in my like usual areas of interest that I'll like naturally gravitate to. So it's been a good experience. Um, but yeah, so I just wanted to, as, as you can tell by the sort of like, I guess, personal finance, that sort of thing that Henry's um, company is giving him, that's a, I think, big asset that I wouldn't, I never knew was an important part of being an adult um, while I was <laughs> going through my undergrad experience. And I, I love my current internship and the entire field of international relations and sort of the disarmament related universe, the gender inclusivity universe. But this is something that is particularly challenging to navigate if you don't have a full-time job that kind of kicks you off smoothly into being an adult uh, independently. So yeah, I think that that's something that's really important to keep in mind if you're still in university or in high school or whatnot. Mm -hmm. yeah. Make, 
make sure you look into the company benefits into mm -hmm. the roles you're applying because I think it, it would make a lot of difference in your daily life after you graduate. Yeah, for so, sure. For sure, yeah. Do you think it will be uh, helpful if I list the, the, the benefits that you generally come to expect? Yeah, I think that'll be good to know. Okay. Um, so I guess in, in terms of priority, mm -hmm. uh, healthcare, very important. Absolutely. And the, uh, I think the HSA account that comes with healthcare Mm -hmm. um that comes with your health provider um, that you can put money in uh ideally your company match a certain percentage of that money mm -hmm. um and you can invest that money mm -hmm. uh, to grow with compound interest mm -hmm. so that when you retire or when you expect to face more uh, health problems you can use that um mm -hmm. that amount um, so that's the most important thing i think and then comes 401k Mm -hmm. The different kinds of 401ks uh, a company offer can include uh, pre-tax 401k, Roth 401k, mm -hmm. and some companies offer after-tax. Mm -hmm. um, this, I, I think, maybe we can go into it in another episode, but right. uh, you, it's usually recommended you max out whatever portion that your company uh, decides to match you with. Mm -hmm. So for us, it's the pre-tax and Roth part, mm -hmm. and the... Uh, uh, the company matching is 50% mm -hmm. of everything you contribute up mm -hmm. to the IRS limit. Mm -hmm. So the general advice is to front load, uh, as soon as you start, uh, front load contributions to those accounts, mm -hmm. to those tax benefits accounts, uh, as much as possible, as much as you can afford mm -hmm. uh, to live without. Um, so that's the second part. Um, I know uh, for our company and a lot of other tech companies, we offer stock rewards. Mm -hmm. It's the employee uh, stock. I, I don't remember the full name, but it's called ESPP, Stock mm -hmm. Purchase Program, Okay. Um, where we offer company stock at a particular discount to market price. Mm -hmm. So what you usually can do is you can sell those stocks mm -hmm. immediately after they get vested to you um, and incur a... Uh, extra income uh, the bad side is you have to pay taxes on the good mm -hmm. side is it is free so uh, most people decide to sell them immediately mm -hmm. after uh, they get into your hands um, to lower the risk and um, to reduce concentration in their investing uh, mm -hmm. so um, that's a third mm -hmm. uh, lots of other insurances mm -hmm. uh, uh, including i think life insurance accidental mm -hmm. uh, uh disability insurance. i i actually okay. don't remember the particular names mm -hmm. uh, and then lastly i would say there is a company particular program called perks plus mm -hmm. um, and that is for uh, a very general area that includes fitness mm -hmm. uh, mental health or uh, working from home let's mm -hmm. say you buy a desk Mm -hmm. ergonomic desk that's a i can adjust the height mm -hmm. the standing desk and you can reimburse that where you can reimburse wow. your gym you can mm -hmm. reimburse your therapy classes or therapy or actually we offer free therapy so you wouldn't need nice. to, re to reimburse that um so that's a very nice uh benefit that we have mm -hmm. and lastly you should think about uh, as individual um, retirement accounts such as right. IRAs that is not matched by the company mm -hmm. does not have to do anything with the employer but uh, it is also 
insanely important uh, in terms of um, increasing your time in the market and to grow your investment tax-free. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those are four or five important things to keep note um, yeah. uh, when you look for uh, benefits at a job. But mm-hmm. um, do you have anything to, to add to yeah um if all of this sounds like gibberish to you that is pretty much where i am and um obviously harry's sharing more and i'm learning from that um but it's okay if you don't know what these are uh, especially if you aren't are far from starting to work um it's always helpful to kind of start learning online somewhere or like talking to friends talking to parents anything like that um as a reminder obviously as you know we aren't financial advisors or anything like that so definitely um consult your (laughs) consult your financial advisors and uh do your own research this is just our personal experience and speaking of personal experience um i kind of wanted to quickly circle back on the insurance note because i know Mm. that there are a lot of international students who are in a similar position like i am who are either not yet employed looking for jobs or who are in internships or contract related positions, which is likely because of OPD and everything. Um, if you are in those situations and need to figure out your own insurance, there are, it may seem daunting, but there are some resources you can look to online, um, go to your university's uh, OPT related or F1 student visa or international center web pages, and then they might have some postings or listings of insurances they recommend. My university, I know Tufts um, received a lot of questions about mm. that, so they sent me over a link. And then also, if your university is subscribed to Interstride, uh, Tufts is, um, so you can look at their website and they have a list of insurances you can look at as well. Um, And those generally, if you want, you can find plans that are like $40 per month or something like that. And those plans cater towards international students. So um, I think you can have shorter term plans, so like 30 days, um, anything like that, or even shorter, I think. Um, so definitely look into those resources if you can. And then also, if you live in the state of Massachusetts, this is very specific, um, but I'm I'm kind of figuring this out right now. Um, there is a thing called Mass Health Connector. Uh, states that are, I think Massachusetts and maybe other progress, super progressive states like California, this might also be the case, but I'm not sure. Um, we have a policy or Massachusetts has a policy where you need to be on health insurance, but in exchange, they sort of help you get connected to and give you tax credit for insurance if you aren't employed in the um, sort of uh, full-time capacity, if you aren't meeting a certain income level. So definitely look into the state-based resources and see if you qualify so that you might be able to receive a form of benefit um, or at the very least access a reliable portal. Um, So that's my insurance experience so far and uh, stay tuned for future updates on what I wind up with. Um, But yeah, I think that's most of sort of the post-graduation life update that I wanted to talk about. Anything else you wanted to add? Um, no, that's good by me. Yeah. All right. Sounds great. Um, so this is our, I guess, seven uh, post-seven months um, since our last episode check-in. Um, if there's anything else that you want us to talk about, definitely shoot that, shoot that our way. Um, yeah, I guess until next time. Hopefully until next time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. we should do a better job about we uh, keeping this up, but uh it's good that we're back now yeah yeah i guess till then until next time